Let me invite you to stand for the scripture reading this morning from Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. And I've told you several times Isaiah calls us to have a higher theology. And I think in this verse I'm about to read to you, you see the convergence of really two key markers of this theology that Isaiah calls us to have. And you'll see God's power and God's love and the hope that we have that can derive from who God is. And so Isaiah 59, one verse for you this morning, but it is still a feast on God's word. Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us as your people to fully comprehend, if possible, to understand something of your majesty and your power to save, and that you would give us hope because of that. We thank you. You hear us when we call out to you. And so restore our confidence and faith as we encounter various trials. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, as I read to you Isaiah 59.1, you might have had a little bit of a stab of pain. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. And you might think to yourself, I have been praying... I have asked for a certain situation to change, and the Lord has yet to answer. You might think, well, how can God have all this power and sovereignty? He's in charge, and in perfect wisdom, He works all things together for good for those who are called according to His purpose, and yet how, God, is this particular situation in my life? or a particular person in my life. And then for some of us, you may have family members. And you read this verse, Isaiah 59, 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Well, why, God, do I have non-Christian loved ones? Family that has rejected the faith. Perhaps children who have broken your heart. You raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and they have somewhere along the line walked away from that. And so there might be some pain associated with this verse, because if the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, well, why, God? Why have you not saved? And I think in the midst of that, pain is certainly room for us to grow. I think when you ask the big questions, why, when you call out to God in this way, as we've just sung from uh, Psalm 42, <clears throat> I think certainly there is spiritual growth for us in these deep, substantial, and yes, heavy questions that we can ask. And we can certainly ask, where is the hope? Where is the hope? If you do have a 
unbelieving relative, if you have someone that doesn't share your faith who you deeply love in your life, if you have a difficult situation, we can ask, where is the hope for us? And of course, we would say Jesus, but we're going we're gonna to see from this passage more specifically the hope that we have. And so first, I'll show you that we can have hope because the Lord saves. The Lord saves. Look in verse 1, the first part of the phrase here, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. How relevant this is for this part as we're coming to the end of Isaiah, when you see the Israelites, both the northern and southern kingdom, remember it was a divided kingdom, struggle with making alliances politically instead of trusting in the God who has provided for them. And then as well, you see them sinning with the sin of idolatry or like we saw last week, Sabbath breaking, disregarding what God had commanded them. And so you see in this passage the reminder that God can indeed save, that the hopeless situations are not hopeless with God. Nothing, in other words, can happen that would shorten God's reach or ability. And certainly we saw that in Acts 9. You see it with the conversion of Saul. You see it in places that are very dramatic, very dramatic conversions, but I want to offer you this too. You still see the Lord's power not in the dramatic, but in the ordinary and maybe even the boring as people turn their life over to God. Nothing can happen to shorten His reach. Somehow along the line, We have, as a society, thought for a moment and dismissed the gospel, dismissed who God is, by virtue of the quality or the quantity of someone's unbelief. Perhaps there's a person who is, and and you may know one, or they could be famous or semi-famous authors who are atheists. They deny who God is. Maybe they're able to articulate their denial in unbelief in sophisticated ways that are somewhat convincing. So we could have someone out there who's denying the existence of God, an atheist. We may have someone who is agnostic. They're denying that human beings can know anything of the divine. And we're talking about the quality and the quantity of unbelief. And it can be imposing. It can be very imposing. As you look at other world religions and things like that, but I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how sincere people are in their unbelief, God is not impressed. And not only is He not impressed, but their unbelief, their collective unbelief does nothing to change God's ability to save to reach those who seem to be so distant from the gospel. Nothing affects his reach. Nothing. And it's important for us to remember that because we are surrounded by unbelief. 
And neither the quality nor quantity of unbelief nor its sophistication or its depth intellectually, individually, collectively, nothing changes that fact. And unfortunately, we need to be reminded of that. From time to time, we need that refresher that no one is beyond the reach of the gospel. I worked in a campus ministry uh, prior to going to seminary. I had to go to seminary to actually figure out what I was teaching in that <laughs> campus ministry. But I, we loved it. Tracy was involved in it too, and, and we loved being part of that campus ministry. And a heavy, uh, a heavy dose of what we did was, was just evangelism, evangelism and discipleship. And I remember one time we, I was with a fellow staff member and we were sharing the gospel with an individual. We would go to the cafeteria and if somebody was eating, eating alone, they were fair game. And we would invite ourselves to sit down with them and we'd talk about spiritual things. And this is some time ago, but we were talking about spiritual things and sharing the gospel with this individual. And it was, it was clear after a time that we weren't getting anywhere. It was clear after a time this person was not going to respond in that conversational moment to the call of the gospel and repentance. They were rejecting uh, the gospel. And so, you know, I was, was kind of ready to go after that. I mean... I didn't think we needed to push the point. But, you know, my friend who I was with, fellow staff member, he kept, he kept going. He kept going. And in a way, you know, it was kind of that moment, you know, when you go to buy a car and they say, well, what would it take for you to go home with the, the car? And I always say, well, if you give it to me for free, you can use that. Or if you give it to me at a substantial discount from the price we're talking, I'll go home with it, sure. But he was, you know, he was pushing, gently pushing. And what I want to offer you is this, that really trust in a sovereign God has both aspects to it. It does have a, what can sometimes be a forceful push. That is okay. It is okay to go, as it were, toe-to-toe with people and challenge them to respond to the gospel today. It is important in light of eternity to respond and receive Christ as your Savior. So what I'm doing is I'm showing you both sides of it. There is the side that if you should so be led by the Holy Spirit, that you would indeed push and challenge, respond today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent. And even though I wasn't on board, my fellow staff member, he he was being faithful to what God called him to. And then there's the other side of it too. And of course, Presbyterians, we're very comfortable with this because we believe in a sovereign God and If God isn't going to use you, he's going to use someone else. And we believe that. We still should be faithful to proclaim the gospel. But it's okay to say, well, if you're not going to respond, 
and, and to walk away from that situation trusting that if God didn't use you, perhaps he'll send someone else. And we can trust. So you see, we can be forceful and ask for a decision and at the same time trust in God's sovereign power that indeed his hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. No one is beyond God's reach. No one. And so sometimes you will be when you're talking about the gospel to someone, and, and you see it's, it's, it's this hope we have. No one's beyond the reach of God. And that encourages maybe the more quiet among us to be vocal, and maybe the more vocal among us to quietly listen. In those encounters with people where we're sharing the gospel, we can have confidence that we can challenge people right then and there. And then we can also share part of the gospel truth and walk away with confidence that God is going to use the seed that we have planted and perhaps bring a harvest. So hoping in the Lord's hand and His power that it, that it is not shortened, that it cannot save, that the quantity of somebody's unbelief or the quality of it, that their sincerity and their rebellion or distrust of God, uh, unbelief is the point I'm making, unbelief doesn't diminish God's power. It never has. And we can have absolute confidence, whether we're challenging someone to decide right then and there, and we're boldly sharing the gospel, or if we're more subtle about it with someone. Each situation calling us to respond in a different way. So we have hope because the Lord saves us. Even the difficult cases like you and I, the Lord saves. And we should have absolute hope in whatever situation we're in. Well, the second half of this verse shows us that we can have hope because the Lord hears. So not only are we hopeful in terms of the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, we have hope because He hears us, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. Now, the implication here is that if God hears, He acts. He does something. He doesn't just listen to a cry for help. He is at work in the world. So his ear isn't dull. It is responsive and sensitive to our cries for help. Now, this has to do, in terms of the context, with salvation, but it also has to do with salvation, not just spiritual salvation, but salvation in terms of being rescued from the trials, the challenges, and the difficulties that we encounter. God saves, in a sense, spiritually, but He also saves every day as we go through life providentially, as He takes care of us, and as we go through different situations. So this is an encouragement to have hope in terms of how we pray, that we can come to God and he isn't too busy running the universe that he cannot hear us and he cannot respond. You know, people don't 
answer their phones anymore, do they? Have you ever answered your phone? I mean, remember when people would answer the phone? Have you ever answered your phone and somebody immediately said, oh, I didn't think you'd pick up? God always picks up. And here's our prayers through the merit of Jesus Christ. Why are we so unwilling to bring to Him our daily prosaic concerns or the big things in our life? If He is more willing to hear, if nothing can dull His hearing, not His busyness, not His busyness running the universe, but He will hear nothing, even our unbelief and lack of faith in His ability to hear causes His hearing to dull. Now, the important point we have to remember, if you look back to Isaiah 55, is that God does hear, and what do we do? We equate His hearing with getting what we want, don't we? Well, the Lord heard my prayer because I got what I wanted. That's not how it's measured, is it? Maybe in modern evangelicalism, God's, the quality of God's hearing is measured in me getting what I want. That's not biblical Christianity. And if you look back at Isaiah 55, we remember that God does hear, so the quality of His hearing is not measured whether we get what we want, but we have to remember Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we don't measure the effectiveness of prayer or the quality of God's listening by whether we get what we want. Because we're told right here that indeed if God is eternal and He is, and He is infinitely above us, then His thoughts are not ours, His ways are not ours. And he is going to answer his way according to his infinite wisdom and plan. And so the hope is in the hearing, not in the end result. We tend to be so end result oriented. And when we do that, we forget that God is infinite. And we forget that he will answer according to his perfect uh, will and providence. So we have hope because not only does the Lord save, we have hope because He hears us in prayer. And this has to do with bringing your unsaved friends, your unsaved relatives to the Lord in prayer. Absolutely. And it also has to do with bringing whatever difficult situation you're in. He can hear nothing. Nothing happens or has happened that will dull his hearing. And if he hears, he is responsive to act. And he acts by his power. And so my encouragement to you is come to the Lord in prayer. Come to the Lord in prayer and call out to him because he hears prayers from his people. I mentioned at the outset of the sermon, you may have someone in your life, maybe family, loved one, child, who, adult child who has walked away from the Lord or, or simply refuses uh, to believe. 
And it's important to understand that God indeed does call us to share the gospel. Of course, we remember Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How will they hear without a preacher? Beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. Uh, Trusting in God's sovereignty and his ability to save does not mean we don't share the gospel. It's a tremendous privilege that God has called us to communicate that gospel message and to trust him in how he answers. And it gives us a wonderful sense of hope. Now, some of you know, and I've told you before, you know, I grew up, my dad was not a Christian and was a different religion, in fact. And so we would frequently, as I uh, got older and became accustomed to apologetics and grew in the faith, we would really get into it um, lovingly. I mean, my dad, intellectual, stubborn, you put those two together, that's where I get it from. You put those two together, and we, we had some serious debates. And I would, I would read up on apologetics and other things, and really, because eternity's at stake. You see, some people, let me pause here for a moment, some people equivocate on the exclusivity of Christianity. In other words, they say there is many ways to God. The way they reconcile unbelieving friends or family is they leak over into universalism and say, well, it just, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Uh, They say things like there are, you know, God's on a mountaintop and there's many pathways to God. You just need to kind of pick one and be sincere about it. And my answer to that is, well, clearly you've never done any hiking because there's a trail and there's off the trail and you're not supposed to go off the trail. So either you're on the pathway or you are not. But see, what has happened in our postmodern world, of course, we get into the subjective self and we determine truth by how I, you know the next word that's coming, feel. And if I feel it enough, it's true, and that's why we're in trouble as a society. We've ejected right and wrong and things and objective truth. Something cannot be true and untrue at the same time. And what happens is people equivocate on the truth of Christianity that Jesus is the only way. The way they resolve the fact that they have loved ones who are not saved is they reduce it all down to just being sincere. And of course, we would say that makes no sense. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to the Father. He doesn't say, I'm a way, and I'm kind of the truth, and maybe on a good day, I will help you enough among the different options that are out there. That is in Christianity. If somebody believes that, if somebody believes there are many ways to God, that's incompatible with biblical Christianity. So I would say something is messed up with their faith. And that's hard to hear. That doesn't mean we don't love them. That doesn't mean we, want, we don't want what's best for them. 
But that's the truth. There is one way to God in Christianity. And immediately what some people will say, whoa, hold on. There are 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. How can they all be wrong? Since when do we determine truth by popular vote? I miss that. Because that's not how truth is determined. By popular vote. And no good Muslim would ever tell you that Christianity is okay. But yet Christians compromise, don't they? And sometimes that compromises. People are in a liberal church. The lukewarm, tepid water has been turned up. And what has uh, gone is this exclusive nature of Christianity and salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father. And so back to my earthly father, he and I would debate. We'd, we'd go hard at it. And just because of our relationship and kind of how we got along and everything, eventually I called time out. I said, okay, look, Dad, we got to be father-son here. I'm never changing. I hope you change, but I'm never changing. So we might as well just be father-son here. And so we, we stopped the debate. And later, you know, he had a stroke. He wasn't quite... Um, as sharp to be able to debate anyway. But I tell you about my relationship with my dad to say that that John 14, 6 truth is something I'll never compromise. I'll never compromise it. And it is painful to hold to that reality, but it is part and parcel what Christianity is about. And we should not equivocate because we have loved ones who believe a different religion and bleed over into universalism and deny the truth of the gospel and the exclusive nature of salvation in Christ. So he and I, we stopped debating, but I didn't stop praying. Didn't stop praying. And what I would pray, and I would encourage you with this, if you've kind of said it all, because I really... I really said it all. If you've said it all to your loved one, to your friend who is apart from Christ, uh, you can still kind of be waiting in the wings to talk about it. But if you've said it all, never stop praying. Never stop praying for them. I would pray for my dad. I'd say, God, my dad isn't listening to me. Send someone into his life who he will listen to. That's what I pray and, of course, we have hope because heaven is a place without tears. That's good news, isn't it? Heaven is a place without tears. Even if you end this, early, this earthly life, even if those who you dearly love end their earthly life apart from Christ, we have hope because heaven is a place without regret without tears and certainly as we come to the lord he hears us and sometimes he uses our prayers whether he answers the way we want or not he uses the prayers to shape us to sanctify us it is not the quantity or quality of our prayers 
that somehow affect God's will or get God to do something. No, the prayers shape us and they shape our affections and they soften our hearts and make us compassionate people. And God may answer. That is the mystery of prayer. But I want you to know you have an outlet to come to the Lord, to come to a Father, a Heavenly Father who listens. And that gives us, that gives us great hope even when we don't know the outcome, even when we don't get what we want. The Lord listens and He hears and He sanctifies us and shapes us. So what I've given you this morning are reasons for hope. Even in difficult situations with difficult people who are like us, we're called, let's unfurl the sails, so to speak, and hope that we catch something of the Spirit's movement, that we would see people, see their life upended by the truth of the gospel, see young people shape a course for their life for God's glory. The hard situations, bring them to the Lord in prayer. The hard situations you're in, bring them to the Lord in prayer. And understand that we have hope, an undying hope not affected by anything because we have a God who is not affected. And His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. And His ear is not dull that it cannot hear. Let's pray together. Lord, how we ask indeed that you would fan into flame our hope, our confidence. And we pray you would give us reminders, even today and this week, of your sovereign power. We pray you would give us the words to say when we're in those situations where we're sharing the gospel. And give us hearts of mercy and compassion to listen when we need to do that. And above all, would our hope never die because you are able to save and you hear us when we pray. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.